Welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by the Athletics senior writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, happy holidays. Happy holidays, Nicole. We took a week off last week, but we're back in it. Bowls are in full effect, and the playoff is here. It kind of snuck Finally. up on us. I didn't, I didn't Finally. realize. I was like, oh, wait, the game's this weekend. Like, it's Oh, it already. snuck up on you? I've been waiting. We can actually preview and talk about these games. It just felt like it has been forever since Selection Sunday. Uh, happy holidays to all of our listeners, and I sincerely hope that none of you are scheduled to fly Southwest this week. It just seems and sounds terrible. We know that we have seen... Uh, some players affected trying to get to bowl games. I am sure we are going to have lots of family members affected by trying to get to these bowl games. I think I already saw actually, Chris, did you see that Cade Klubnik's parents are going to make a 20 hour drive to get there to the Orange Bowl for his first start because their flight got canceled? You're going from what Austin to Miami. Yeah, it's a long. Far. That's a long drive. Although, as someone had pointed out, uh, there are at least some good things to stop at on the way. But anyway, please safe travels. Um, I hope you all don't lose your luggage because it doesn't seem like that's getting resolved anytime soon either. So, if you are stuck, um, hopefully this podcast where we talk about the major storylines in college football in an hour or less helps you get through at least a half hour, 45 minutes, however long we end up going. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friend Feed. I will be joining Ari and Andy later this week as we pick the New Year's Six games and talk playoff as well, uh, which Chris and I will also preview in today's show. Finally, it's here. And before we get to all the shenanigans uh, with Andy and Ari, we are going to power hour right now. And we're going to start, as we always do, with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it is time to move on to the next. I will start today. Number one, big news. Uh, The number one available player in the transfer portal, actually, that type of big news. Sam Hartman is officially in the transfer portal. This happened on Tuesday He started parts of five seasons with the Demon Deacons and broke the ACC record for career touchdown passes just last week in the Wake Forest season finale, a 27 to 17 win over Missouri in the Gasparilla Bowl. He was excellent at at Wake Forest. Um, You know, he led them to an ACC championship game. He also really mastered that slow mesh and the very uniqueness, the unique offense that Dave Clawson runs. Uh, Notre Dame is the front runner to land Sam Hartman as a grad transfer, but not the only contender, according to our colleagues, Pete Sampson and Matt Fortuna. I thought this was really interesting, Chris. Earlier in December, this is what Dave Clawson had to say when asked about Sam Hartman's next step. He said, quote, the way the name, image, and likeness market is working, in some cases with guys with eligibility left, They might have an opportunity to make more money by going to another school for a year and then going to the NFL. In that case, we couldn't fault them. Whatever decision Sam makes, we support him. I think right now his intention is to go to the NFL. But when the bowl game is over, if there is some incredible offer for him to go to another school and get life-changing money, how could we fault him for that? It's a good problem to have. He's going to have many good options. And he does. And that's certainly (laughs) what it appears to be. Um, So I think we knew going into the bowl game that this was going to be Sam Hartman's last game at Wake Forest. We did not know what he was going to do next. And now we do. He's going to transfer and play one more season of college football. 
Yeah, it, it, it's it it's a weird situation because like everybody knew this was going to happen. Everybody just knew and kind of accepted that he was going to transfer. It's kind of a unique situation. But again, started for parts of five years. He's been there forever. One of my fondest Sam Hartman Wake Forest memories will be the time he explained that he had to get a rib removed because of uh, some health issues before the season, and he's going to make that into a necklace. Uh, I've not. I don't know if he's actually made the necklace I yet, or if we've not. seen it. I hope not. Or but that's maybe I hope that they that he did. I can't decide. Yeah, that was an incredible thing to see. So I just uh, tough as nails, dude. Yep. And wherever he goes, probably Notre Dame. We will see. Um, it's a good situation for him, Devin. And to that point that Dave Clawson said, I'll kind of mention it again later. But like Brock Purdy starting in the NFL right now, Mister Irrelevant. He only his contract only guaranteed him seventy seven thousand dollars. That was his signing bonus. His entire contract this year only pays him about seven hundred thousand dollars. College quarterbacks make more money than that. Like you are better off staying some, in college. Some, some. some Bryce Young was making seven figures before he even started a game. Nick Saban said so. For a lot of these guys who are late to fringe round draft picks, uh, you're better off staying in school and making nil money. In some cases, more than you'd make elsewhere. And we, we actually saw this on the college basketball side as well because you saw a number of prominent bigs come back to college. And part of it is that, like, the NBA, where the game is right now, that's not the most desirable skill set. So if you're not sure where you're going to get drafted or if you're going to get drafted, yeah, come back to college. Be the big man on campus, pun intended, and be one of – you know, a national player of the year coming back and players of the year in different conferences. I mean, there's there's a lot of options and a lot of poster children for NIL in Hunter Dickinson and um, and, and the like and Oscar Shibway. So um, it's very interesting. It's good for the college game. Sam Hartman has been a phenomenal college quarterback. Very excited that we get him for another year. He is delaying his inevitable entry into the Bachelor franchise at some point. <laughs> But yes. we will delight in having him in college football for another year. And also, if it ends up being Notre Dame, Wake Forest is on their schedule next year. Mm. That'll be something. Number two, another quarterback transferring. DJ Uangalile, the quarterback from Clemson, is now he's trading in the orange for the orange of Oregon State. Going up to Corvallis, announced uh, right before Christmas, I think it was. So we haven't, we haven't had a chance to talk about it, but... Here's a guy who was kind of the opposite situation. A former top recruit came in, got a lot of NIL money off the bat. He was uh, was it the Dr. Pepper quarterback, I think, uh, last year. Things didn't go great at Clemson. He, he was bad last year. He was better this year. Not great. He was eventually benched a couple times for the aforementioned Kate Klubnik. And so he's going out west. You know, a lot of people had pegged him to go to Hawaii, perhaps. But Oregon State, which I think is a tremendous fit. Uh, for everybody involved, Oregon State's coming off uh, the third 10-win season in school history. They got a really, really talented running back uh, who was Pac-12 freshman offensive player of the year, who Oregon State was actually worried about losing him to NIL transfer to somewhere else. But it looks like he's sticking around. You add in a quarterback. They got to replace some, some – they got to find some new wide receivers. But uh, a, 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 among the many quarterbacks transferring into the Pac-12 over the last year or so – this one's going to go kind of under the radar, but remember, Oregon State won 10 games. They beat Oregon. This is a good program, and now they're adding a quarterback. No matter what you 
maybe he wasn't the star we expected at Clemson, but he's still a pretty good quarterback, and I think that'll be good for Oregon State, which needed a quarterback this year. That They could have won the Pac-12 if they had the right quarterback. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting fit. Also returning the whole offensive line. So it's it's an interesting move from DJ. I, I think, you know, you mentioned Hawaii and the crystal ball to Hawaii. That was an odd stretch there. Um, but I do think people thought West Coast, if he was going to stay at the Power 5 level, which he is, um, he will have to win that job, right, Chris, I assume, because... Yeah, I mean, yeah. everybody will, will have but, to come in. Right, but, you, but you know, I, I think, you know, you see the success that other transfer quarterbacks have had even in his area, if you look at Bo Nix at Oregon, Michael Penix Jr. at Washington, they had up and down careers at the first spot, and then mm-hmm. they blossomed in the Pac-12. And so really interested to see that. Also love that for DJ because he's going from being the Clemson quarterback who just get picked apart and nitpicked and then you know had to keep you know an eye over his shoulder because Dabo had pulled him and then pulled him again and was willing to do it. And now you get to go to Corvallis, fly under the radar a bit. It's it's one of those situations where even when they're good, it takes the country a minute to realize that Oregon State is good. And that's what happened this year. Uh, but they finished with 10 wins. So I, I do like that fit. At first, it was a little bit out of the blue for me. But I think it is exactly what DJ needs. Um, and I'm excited to see what Jonathan Smith continues to build. He Number- will absolutely be under the radar, by the way. I, like, I went out to Corvallis this year for a story in Oregon State, and they've only got you know a couple of local beat writers. It's completely different when you compare Oregon and Oregon State to coverage, and they're only like 45 minutes apart. Like I visited both of them up there. He's going to be very... He'll get you know, the national writers will go up and probably do a story on him at some point, but he's largely going to be able to, like you said, be under the radar and not have all that pressure on him now. And his brother will be at Oregon. So yes, that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well. Okay, number three, bowl reaction so far, Chris. As you mentioned, we are in the thick of it. We've had a number of exciting bowl games. We are about to hit the the stretch of a lot of Power 5 on Power 5 opponents. But I think some of the more notable results so far, we were just talking about Oregon State. That win over Florida was probably the easiest to predict out of anything we've seen in bowl season so far. It was 30-3. to three. Uh, In the Vegas Bowl, Florida, we thought would be disinterested. They were. Oregon State (laughs) had a chance for a double-digit win season, and they took it. Um, So that was an impressive win for the Beavs. Uh, BYU stopped SMU on a two-pointer to win the Holiday Bowl. Last game as an independent, they are headed to the Big 12. Wake Forest, as mentioned, sends Sam Hartman out with a win. Uh, Nice win over an SEC team. In Missouri, and Dave Clawson pointed out in the post game, you know, I, I've used the term, I think a lot of us have, that Wake Forest season was disappointing, especially after six and one start, especially coming off of an ACC championship game appearance. But his point was eight wins and a win over an SEC team in a bowl game. You know, there there's something to be said for that, and that is mm-hmm. their their success there. And the fact that that's a disappointing season at Wake Forest, by the way, it just shows where that program is right now. Um, so that was a, an impressive one as well. I, I'll also shout out Louisville. They were going through it uh, in the Scott Satterfield Bowl. They just throttled Cincinnati in, in that game, and that was impressive considering the turnover on the staffs, the idea of coaching against the team that's about to be coached by your head coach um, who is on his way out and was watching from from home or from his office. So 
you know, that one was one where I mentioned this with Andy and Ari, but very disappointed in the sponsor for that one. That was the Wasabi Fenway Bowl. Really thought that was going to be sushi or soy sauce related. It was way, not. In this thing, was, you know, it's not Wasabi. The the Yeah, that was that yeah. was the most disappointing <laughs> sponsor of any bowl game so far. Um, and then, you know, Chris, you noted this, and I think it's a great point. Nine bowl games so far have been decided by one score. So it's been really fun so far. Yeah, look, on, on Monday, we had uh, New Mexico State and Bowling Green go down to the wire. You know, Middle Tennessee pulled out a two-point winning in San Diego State in the Hawaii Bowl. Houston held on to beat Louisiana. Like, these have been entertaining games. Like, the, the, uh, they've largely not been blowouts except for Florida, as we mentioned, because remember, it, it, it's look, I know Anthony Richardson didn't play and it's it's almost become a meme at this point that if SEC team lost its bowl game, it wasn't interested. It, it, <laughs> there's a lot of turnover going on there. It's it's um, it's been fun. It has been a lot of fun bowl season so far. We got more uh, coming up here as well. Number four, about a week out from signing day now, you and I haven't really had a chance to talk about it, but. You know, the top five classes, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Miami, Oklahoma, nothing too surprising there. Oregon made a bunch of flips late to, to, to pull in a decent class. Uh, Notre Dame missed on some guys late. Ohio State lost some guys late. But Alabama, you know, one year after Nick Saban was complaining that Texas a and was buying their class all because Alabama finished second in recruiting. Uh, the Tide are back there up at number one. Seven five-star players. Nobody else in the country had more than four. So Alabama's going to do what Alabama does. Nicole, did you have any other any other thoughts coming out of signing day? Yeah, my only other thought was, um, you know, we knew Texas would be up there in, in their number three right now, and they've got Arch Manning and rounded out a really nice class there for Sark. Um, but it was also that Miami and Oklahoma finished in the top five, or at least are in the top five right now. And I just thought that was impressive considering the way that both of those seasons went. Obviously, Oklahoma is is bowl eligible and they got to six. But, you know, the way that people were talking about the first years of those two coaches and it it didn't, you know, like they, they were able to rebound. They were able to get the recruits that they wanted and, and build these top five classes. So interested to see where those go, what it means for, for year two, how many of those young players we'll see on the field. But notable, I think, that Miami and Oklahoma uh, are sitting in the top five right now. Yeah, I know uh, Ari Wasserman took a little bit of slack for, for listing Miami among his losers, among the winners and losers of signing day for having the number four class. Now, that does include... You know, cornerback uh, Cormani McLean, who may or may not end up at Colorado. Uh, but look, Miami made a lot of noise. John Ruiz, the you know the the booster who's running their NIL stuff a lot, uh, a lot of attention on on them. So, you know, overall, look in the NIL era, I think it's pretty clear that nothing has really changed in <laughs> recruiting rankings. It, there, there aren't really any surprise teams. You know, suddenly signing top 10 classes that were doing it before. It's the same schools because the same schools have the most money. And now that money's just going toward NIL. So we can, people can complain about it all they want, but it's ultimately producing the same, the same results. It is. It is. And um, I, I think that that is worth pointing out, worth underscoring that uh, there are a lot of reasons that people want to go to certain schools. And the top schools have always had uh, advantages, and they do now. So we're seeing a lot of the same names. Last one for the Power Five, number five. Mentioned this off the top. It is finally 
game week for the CFP semifinals. Uh, a couple notable quotes that I, I thought were interesting. We have heard from some Ohio State players this week, and they are fully embracing the idea that they are an underdog. They are talking that way. They are saying that they are excited to be playing this game in Georgia's backyard. C.J. Stroud said, quote, I do feel like people are counting us out, but that's fine. We've been counted out plenty of times. This isn't nothing new. I definitely think this is the path God wanted us on, and I'm just rocking with that. If that means we're the underdog, I'm cool with it. Um, it's interesting because Ohio State is n- not typically an underdog. No. No, they're not. <laughs> like ever. <laughs> and the last time we saw Ohio State, you know, kind of uh, – come in well I guess we've never seen them really come into this the the playoff exactly this way but it is going to be a fun one big brand names uh it's the late night game the primetime game for a reason so interested to see that uh interested to see Ohio State play here with this second lease on life after thinking their season was over after thinking that it was going to take 365 days to get a chance to redeem themselves. Um, instead, it's about a month, and they will be able to play for all the things that they want to play for, a national championship. Uh, on the flip side, out in Arizona, interesting quote from J.J. McCarthy, the Michigan quarterback who beat Ohio State. He said, and he's been pretty clear on this, that last year's goals for Michigan were to beat Ohio State to win the Big Ten. This year, the goal is to win a national title. And so the difference is they made the playoff last year, And not that they were just happy to be there, but they were happy to be there. I mean, that was a big deal for them to get to the playoff. But they get beat badly by Georgia. And quote this, and this is what JJ had to say this week, quote, we're not just happy to be here. We want to get past it. And so I think that you definitely have seen that in in a change of tone and the way that they've talked about things since winning the Big Ten, since beating Ohio State, is that they want to get this game. They want to beat TCU. They want to get through the semifinal round of the college football playoff. Yeah, everybody's really sliding into their cliched roles, I think. You know, Ohio State, people are down. I, Michigan okay, last year, we were happy to be with it. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Listen, this is like, let's just lean into our storylines. They're good. They're exciting. George is trying to repeat. TCU comes out of nowhere to get to the playoff, and they're the, you know, they, they, they can come back. And I was calling them cockroaches because they don't die in games. I mean, I, I like it. I like it. I like that we have four very clearly defined paths, storylines. I hope we get two good games. That's been the question mark the whole college football playoff era. We haven't had a lot of good semifinal games, but I'm okay with people embracing these things. I'm okay with people leaning into the cliches. Although, you know, you and I are not at the site trying to pull out more interesting quotes from these folks. So uh, I think that would be a different situation. But I'm okay with uh, them leaning into these things, especially if Ohio State wants to pretend, you know, or, or you know, say they have a chip on their shoulder, underdogs, whatever it is, whatever helps them go. I would like to see them play a lot better than the last time we saw them play. So uh, interested to see how all of that shakes down. And we will uh, go a little bit deeper in these games in just a minute. Uh, we're going to transition now to our happy hour segment. This is where we talk about things that make us happy in college football. And I- I'm going to start with a very lighthearted story. This has actually brought me, um, it's it's really made my, my week. We were talking on the top about, you know, just some of the flight cancellations and the winter storm was really bad in so many parts of the country it, it led to cancellations on other airlines, not just Southwest. And a couple of pit football players were flying and trying to get to the Sun Bowl in El Paso. 
And they got stranded in Dallas, which, by the way, is like over 600 miles from El Paso. It's not close. They ran into the men's basketball head coach for UTEP, Joe Golding, who basically just saw them, saw them with pit attire, pit bags. Um, They were talking about playing in the Sun Bowl and needing to get to El Paso. There were no cars left at the rental car place. And he said, if we can get a big enough car, I'll take you. So they had an impromptu carpool road trip. They first tried to give them a minivan, which they did not fit in, which is hilarious (laughs) for pit football players. So they ended up getting a big Ford Explorer. They hop in the car. They drive overnight. They got dinner at a gas station at 10 p.m. And they make it. And it's just, I love that this happened. I love the idea of, you know, which college basketball or college football coach, you know, would you need to road trip like nine hours with, you know, who could you, who, who would be a good road, road trip buddy. Um, but they made it and both sides have shared the story and it's just, it's, it's a really cool story. It's a great holiday story um, about helping others in unlikely bedfellows. And I love that they road trip together and, and bonded and, and, it, it's just, it's really cool. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit this week. Pat Narduzzi was the first to tell everyone about it. And um, and Joe Golding, who is Sunny Dyke's brother-in-law, uh, he also talked about it as well. So I, I, I just love that. And, and that was one of the things that made me happy this week. I need to emphasize, as someone who lives in Texas and lives in Dallas, just how far El Paso is. I know they're in the same state. It is a nine-hour drive. It is equal distance from El Paso to, I believe, the border of California than it is to to go from El Paso to Dallas. So it is a very far distance. So shout out to all of them for making that drive. I think Joe Golding said he was going to be a big pit football fan now. So that's good. Look, they had plenty of time too, by the way. The game isn't until Friday, you know? Yeah, but (laughs) but here's the problem. Some of these flights are not, people are not getting rebooked until after the holiday. Right. So, so you got to make the to, yeah. Whether you're a pit football it. player, whether you're Cade Klubnik's parents, um, people are making long drives. Actually, uh, Dave Wilson, our, our buddy at ESPN, they're driving to uh, Arizona to the Fiesta Bowl from Texas as well because they can't get a flight either. So a uh, lot of lot of long car rides for everybody. So I hope everybody is uh, okay with that. It's something I want to mention here in the happy hour. Kind of similar to what we said earlier about quarterbacks, but. For all the talk about the quarterback carousel in the transfer portal, uh, some group of five teams have held on to their quarterbacks, and it's like really a notable thing. You've got Frank Harris staying at UTSA, Michael Pratt staying at Tulane, Austin Reed staying at Western Kentucky. Pratt and Reed especially were getting Power 5 interest like to go to other schools, and they opted to stay uh, at their schools. And Frank Harris made his announcement you know, with an NIL collective, Pratt did the same thing with the collective. Uh, Austin Reed announced a, an NIL deal shortly after that, ended up playing in their bowl game, which they won. And so I, like it, as much as people like to worry and think that the group of five is just now going to be a feeder system for the power five, that's not necessarily the case. You know, you, th- these are three very good quarterbacks who are all coming back again, not going to the NFL, uh, where they may possibly make more money by staying in school. And they're also staying at a group of five schools. So group of five schools have collective money, have NIL money. They have to, you know, work a little harder at it, figure out exactly how they want to use it. 
But I just thought that was three quarterbacks making decisions that was was very cool for those schools, for those conferences, and really just for the group of five uh, in total. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's awesome. We need to take the time to celebrate it because we do have a lot of fear-mongering. We do see players, and I don't fault the players, by, by the way, at all for – you know, if, if they weren't recruited by Power Five schools and they play their way into that conversation and have opportunities, take them, go ahead. But for the players who are built a little bit differently and decide to stay, shout out to them. They deserve, they deserve our our applause, the flowers, and and whatever it might be. So, uh, shout out to all of those players as well. And and one one other thing specific to Western Kentucky, um, Austin Reed, I think he led the country or was like near the top of the country in, in passing yards. This year, it's worth remembering, Bailey Zappi played for yep. Western Kentucky before yep. this. He's in the NFL. Mike White, uh, former Western Kentucky player, starting for uh, the New York Jets or about to come back for the New York Jets. So Western Kentucky has put quarterbacks in the league, and I- I'm sure that played a role as well in Austin Reed's decision. And that's, uh, uh, again, the grass isn't always greener. If you're in a good situation and you can make some money that you need to make, um that can be good for everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, just one last point on that. I mean, like it's never been easier to get film and video footage or stream games anywhere. So first of all, the NFL was already finding guys at different levels. I mean, there are FCS prospects who are going to get drafted. Right. But also, you know, you can play wherever and and people are going to watch you and and you can have success. And I, I do think we've talked about this before, but with an expanded playoff, you know, there may be paths for, some of these group of five programs or, you know, hopefully we get rid of that moniker, but they may be able to be perennial playoff type programs. And um, maybe that means coaches will stay at that level. And maybe that means that players will stay at that level. So interested to see how all that plays out. Um, also in the happy hour, I wanted to discuss briefly our favorite non CFP bowl games that are left. And, and I'm saying that as CFP semifinals, because I want to pick a, a new year six bowl as well. My my number one is obviously the Mayo Bowl. This is finally approaching. I'm excited for the content. I'm excited for the game. I love that there are former ACC foes in Maryland and NC State playing in this game. Mm. And I love, most of all, that we know that both coaches are prepared to have a vat of Mayo dumped on their head if they win. That is the most important part. I have been told via sources that they are considering Old Bay seasoning for Maryland if the mayo dump is for Maryland. So it's very possible we'll see some fries being eaten off of the mayo with Old Bay seasoning that has been on Mike Loxley's head. So interested to see all of that. Very excited. I think that'll be also a, a good game. I'm also extremely pumped for the Rose Bowl. I think that this is such an interesting matchup with Penn State and Utah. They both really want to be there. It's the last traditional Rose Bowl with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 champs. Uh, well, not the Big Ten champ, but Big Ten team and, and the Pac-12 team. And I just think it's going to be really, really fun. We saw Utah in probably the game of the postseason last year against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. In their first Rose Bowl, they're already back. Penn State hasn't been there since 2016. And that program is young and exciting. The core group is is you've got to be super pumped about all of the true freshmen we saw make immediate impacts this season. Also, Sean Clifford 
finally wrapping up his career at Penn State, six-year senior. So that game cannot wait. Um, and again, I, I, you know, you're a traditionalist. You like the traditional Rose Bowl, and it's going to be a classic. Look, I read the other day in the papers that uh, the the end of the Rose Bowl, as we know it, is also the end of humanity. So I think it's important that we uh, that we that we celebrate this. Please one. don't. If, if you don't know what he's <laughs> referring to, don't Google it. It's it's a San Francisco Chronicle column that is very dramatic about the end of the Rose Bowl as we know it. Yes. Although, by the way, one more thing on the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, our friend Anish Shroff, ESPN commentator, uh, Charlotte Panthers. Uh, a, a commentator as well. He tweeted earlier Tuesday that he said, we just got off our ESPN production call for the Duke's Mayo Bowl. And he put out a poll. He said, do we go full sickos or do we dial it back? And the winner is go full sickos with... Well, with well, 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 okay. okay. Say the percentages. 97.6%. How else do you expect people to vote in a poll that is worded that way? I obviously voted go full sickos, but like, obviously we want that. We want to see that. This is the crew that had the Iowa Northwestern game and leaned real hard into sickos committee game of the week. So yes, of course they are going to do this. I cannot even believe it, it. The only surprising part about that poll is that it's not a hundred percent. It was a Look, leading question. Look, I've just learned from certain Twitter employees that uh, you know maybe blue check marks will be the only ones who could vote in the future. So while while we're hearing from the people, I think it's I think it's good that uh, that they ask the people what they want, and that is what the people want. Speaking of sickos games, I can't believe I was the one who got to choose this. You you've you've been picking this every chance we get, but we only got to pick one here. You technically picked two, but I I got to pick this one: the Music City Bowl. Iowa, Kentucky. We've talked about it almost every week on this podcast because we are extremely excited about it. Iowa's down to its third string quarterback. Kentucky's down to its backup quarterback. Several other key players are not playing in this game. And right before we decided to record, I looked up. There's about a 50% chance of rain right now in Nashville on New Year's Eve morning for this game. The over-under is currently 31, would be the lowest ever. The current lowest ever was 31 and a half done by Iowa and Minnesota this year. So you want bad football? We are going to get it in the Music City Bowl. And I, for one, cannot wait for that. Iowa was the sickos team of the year. So that makes sense. Quickly, Chris, we have finally made it to game week. We are going to get the CFP semifinals. We have talked about the overall themes and storylines for each of these teams. First of all, how do you see these games going? Are we going to get close games? And what do you think it would take for the underdogs and both of them to pull off a win? I think we could. Like, I think Ohio State's talent can, you know, cause some problems. I think Michigan's maybe holes in some certain spots if TCU can hit some big plays could make it close but but ultimately the two matchups I'm looking for is does Michigan dominate the line of scrimmage against TCU do they shut down any chance of a running game do they constantly have Max Duggan on the run I think that's very possible and if you do that TCU's got no shot so so that is that is what I'm looking for does Michigan dominate the line of scrimmage and offensively can they run the ball so that's where I'm looking there and then with with Georgia Ohio State is can Georgia hit the big plays, the the, the chunk plays, the 20, 30 yard plays. There, there's something 
Georgia's like eighth in the country or something like that in plays of like 20 plus yards. This is a team that has a lot of speed, can get it on the outside. And we saw Ohio State give up big plays to Michigan, you know, when, when they were trying to stop the run. So if Georgia can hit the big plays like I think they can, I don't know if Ohio State can keep up. So Georgia explosive plays, Michigan line of scrimmage. That's what I'm looking for, looking for in these games. Um, I'm also interested to see how Michigan handles uh, running quarterback. I was looking at some stats earlier that people uh, had pulled from, I think it was Sports Info Solutions, and it was saying that Michigan has actually faced a quarterback who ran the ball the least out of any team in the country. Oh, wow. Even the quarterbacks who who run and who are more mobile, like a, like a Talia Tagovailoa, uh, didn't didn't attempt that many carries, didn't run the ball that much against Michigan. And I'm curious what Max Duggan can do. Obviously, we've seen him scramble, but we've also seen a lot of designed run plays. Um, so what does that look like? How does that affect Michigan's pass rush and the way that they have been getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks? I mean, even C.J. Stroud, we've, we've talked about it a lot all year. He probably should have run the ball more this year. I mean, he should have been a little bit more of a running threat, um, but he, he really isn't that quarterback. So they haven't really been tested that way. And that's going to be interesting. They, again, it's still only a couple games now since, uh, you know, Blake Corum was out for the year as they continue to evolve offensively. And JJ McCarthy continues to evolve as a passer in the big plays as well that we saw him hit against Ohio state. So interested in all of that in the other game to your point, I mean, in terms of sheer talent, you know, Ohio state has it. We've, we've seen the top end, Sometimes throughout the season, not nearly enough. But if they can put this together, it can be a game. I, I worry defensively for, for the Buckeyes. Um, and we did see Stetson Bennett have a career day in the SEC championship game. You know, he hadn't played all that well in the preceding couple of weeks. But this is championship football. This is the championship season. And a lot of these Georgia players, even the younger ones who are stepping into bigger roles, saw exactly what it took to win a national championship last year. Interested to see how that goes. Love watching Jalen Carter. It's going to be a fun one. But I would definitely like Ohio State to make that a game. I mean, they literally are coming off of a performance where they were just blown out and and beaten down, out, out toughed, out physicaled. And then they have an opportunity a month later to play a team that is built very similarly to Michigan, and if not better, and we can see where they've grown. Can they be tougher? Can they be more physical? Can they can they not be embarrassed the way that they were against Michigan? They have an opportunity to uh, to, to show us that they're more than what we saw against Michigan. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of the recent times we've seen Georgia, uh, Ohio State match up against really talented teams in the playoffs. We saw them get kind of destroyed by Alabama in the championship game in 2020. Clemson's run them off the field a few times. Yep. This is a team that's been very, frankly, slow on defense. We we remember, you know, Ohio State had a linebacker trying to cover Devontae Smith, you know, out of the all over the field. That did not work. And they looked slow again against Michigan. So I, I'm very curious to see if Ohio State's defense can slow down Georgia at all. And weirdly, it, 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 though it feels like the first year of the playoff was just yesterday, it's been a while. I mean, that was the 2014 season where Ohio State – Mm-hmm. got in as the four seed, Cardell Jones, and they won it all. It's been a minute um, since we have seen them do real damage two games to win a national championship. So interested to see how those games are. I hope they're closer. We've seen so many blowouts in this round. Um, 
you know, you could argue some of that's the layoff. Some of that is some of the teams that have kind of backed in off of losses, perhaps, or are just not peaking. But hopefully we get better games. This is going to be one of those years again where it is on New Year's Eve. Yes. So you do have to account for that as you plan. It's a terrible idea. This is not a holiday. What? Okay. I'll say this year, New Year's Eve is a Saturday. So I'm yes, okay with it this o- year. That's the only saving grace. But my my issue with this, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to save this for my last call. Okay? I'm going to save okay. the New Year's Eve semifinal games for the last call. Um, so let's get to On the Rocks. Okay. This is the part of the show where we talk it out. We find the friction somewhere in the sport, and we are here to help you work through it. Let's start this week's Rocky Relationship again, as, as we have for so many shows uh, at Texas A&M. Uh, Chris, you want to take it away? Yeah, look, it's been about a month since Jimbo fired his offensive coordinator in name only, Daryl Tiggy, uh, and he still doesn't have one. Uh, they have not hired a new offensive coordinator yet. They uh, Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator at uh, Washington, uh, signed a second extension in about as many months. He's going to be making about $2 million a year now. Uh, Garrett Riley at TCU, it's been reported that he's sticking with TCU. So uh, I'm still curious here where... Texas A&M is going to go for coordinator. And if we end up in a situation where Jimbo's calling the offense again, because I don't think anybody wants that, but that is the situation um, they're in at the moment. He can still make a big hire for sure. But some of the top names you would have connected to the job are no longer available. Not only that, but Texas A&M has the most scholarship players in the portal. Our Max Olson counted it up. 24 players from Texas A&M in the portal. A lot of that from the 2021 class not the 2022 class. That is important to know, that really good 2022 class. Uh, so that's a lot of space to fill. And, and even if those guys weren't going to play, even if they weren't starters, it's depth. You, you got to be, you got to have depth, especially in the SEC. Now the, the, the signing class limit is gone for this year or next year. You can sign 35 guys. So, so A&M can fill those spots. But if you're going to be filling them with, high school players with low-level transfers. I'm very curious what the depth of this Texas A&M team is going to be next year. So, look, we ended the season with a lot of questions about Texas A&M, and a month later, it's still there. Still a lot of questions. Yeah, they're going to continue to be rocky relationships in college football until they turn things around. So it's going to be a really interesting offseason there. And again, still waiting for one of the biggest puzzle pieces that may or may not come. Or Jimbo Fisher is going to do this again, which I think he would probably like to do. And we'll see, you know, what the pressure could be internally to to make that not happen and, and to tweak some things offensively. So another, I don't know if this is like a, a rocky relationship, but it's worth talking about. I would like to discuss the fact that seven former starting quarterbacks in the ACC transferred out of the league. Um, so it's it's been a boon for a number of other places. We were talking about DJ landing at Oregon State. We were talking about Sam Hartman maybe landing at Notre Dame. Uh, Devin Leary is headed to Kentucky. Keaton Slovis is headed to BYU. Drake May is staying at North Carolina. But in general, we are seeing a lot of player movement out of that league. Do you, do you take away any – are there any sweeping judgments to be made about this, Chris? It, it it's hard to say until we fully know who's replacing all of these guys. But like, you know, 
Devin Leary, NC State losing Devin Leary, like there's no way to spin that as a positive. It's not like he got beat out for somebody else was, was going to get the job. That is a, a, a tough loss. DJ Uangalale, on the other hand, like we said, had kind of gotten benched. Sam Hartman and I all have other opportunities. Keaton Slovis is going to yet another school, so that's not necessarily a big change. But like Brendan Armstrong, you know, he got really beat up this year at Virginia after having a really good couple of years before that. It's it's like the opposite of the Pac-12. We're like the Pac-12. We're like, man, look at all these really good quarterbacks coming into the league. It's going to be exciting. The ACC, we're saying, well, look at all these pretty good quarterbacks who are leaving. So it's it, it's really two different ways to look at it from two different conferences. So it's a mixed bag right now, but we'll see where everybody lands. We'll see who these schools pick up instead, if they pick up somebody instead. Uh, but most notably, Drake May, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, not transferring. Whether or not he was being tampered with or driving prices up, I don't know. We don't really know. Everybody has an opinion on that. But uh, he's going to be the face of the conference next year. He is. And with the exodus of all of these quarterbacks, and we still don't know where Brendan Armstrong is going to land. By the way, he's still floating around out there without a landing spot at this point. But all of those quarterbacks were really all together the face of this per- this this conference. I mean, for the last couple of years, it's been known for the quarterbacks. There's been elite mm-hmm. quarterback play and some really entertaining games because of it. Um, and so it's going to be very interesting. The Devin Leary one to Kentucky could end up being one of the most impactful transfers of, of the season next year. Um, you know, again, you saw what happened with Will Levis going there and becoming a legitimate NFL prospect, first round prospect. So interested to see what that looks like for Devin Leary. Uh, also coming off another injury. He's had some some really bad injury luck over the course of his career. So lots to talk about throughout the offseason. Um, we'll continue to dive into all of that this offseason. But before we wrap things up for our, um, I, I was going to say it's our bowl preview show. It's not quite. It's it's like the, the, the New Year's Six phase of the bowls preview show and the games around New Year's preview show. I want to get to the last call here. As I just decided a couple minutes ago, my last call is going to be a little bit of a rant. And, you know, last call can be a cheers. It can be a jeers. It can be whatever you would possibly get around before the bar's closing and cheers to. So you want to celebrate something one last time. You want to rant about something one last time. This is the time to do it. Mine is the fact that the semifinal games are on New Year's Eve. I know that it is a Saturday, and that is better. That is good. Also, it's one of those weird years where because New Year's Day is on a Sunday, all the New Year's Day bowl games are going to be on the second. So you already have that kind of spacing out, which I think probably helps a little bit. But I just keep thinking about what a terrible fit it is to have these meaningful games played on a holiday where people leave their house. Like, other holidays that sports work best for are ones when you can host people over. It's the focal point. It's something you could cook for. You can have drinks, but you're going to be around a TV and you can plan around that. It is not the case for new year's. The best new year's plans are doing that. When you stay home, maybe you have a couple friends over, maybe you cook a nice meal or order pizza or something, have game night, hang out at home. But for the most part, people go out on New Year's Eve. People buy tickets to events and bars and shows, and they go to things. 
They get dragged to things with their friends or family. It's a really tough holiday to be like, nope, I need to plan this around a college football game that is going to kick off at eight o'clock Eastern. That's really tough. That's really tough, especially if you are not a fan of the two teams that are playing in that game. Like if you just want to watch Georgia and Ohio State because you're hoping it's going to be a great game, which we are and we're going to be watching. You got to plan your whole day around this and everyone else in your orbit probably wants to do something else. So it's just a hard holiday. And I, again, it's just, it's, it's so funny to me that college football thought that they could take it over and change everyone's behavior around this holiday when you really can't. And, and there's just a lot of plans that are made outside of the home. And the most meaningful games for college football should be played on New Year's Day, which is a traditional college football day. Everyone is hungover. Everyone is laying on their couch and you watch college football. So I am hoping that a lot of this will be rectified with the expanded playoff and the way that they look at the calendar. Maybe not for 2024 and 2025, but maybe for the new contract. But that is what I would say. Don't try to force it on another holiday where people like to do stuff and they like to go to dinner. They like to go to shows. They like to buy an overpriced ticket and go to a bar and just bring it back to the day where we're already at home. We're already Uber eating our food and laying on the couch, that's when college football needs its marquee event. So I know it's Saturday. Hopefully people watch. Hopefully the games are good. Hopefully it's fun. But Chris, I'm just tired of pretending that New Year's Eve is not a terrible idea. Do you remember in 2015 when ESPN had the, yes, the commercials? Had big campaign, the commercials. They put they it thought, into the they put they, it in the soap operas. They, they, they thought they, that <laughs> this was going to change people's behavior. They that tried. This was they, they and they had to, but that was that was ridiculous. And and when it's been on a yeah, weekday, I mean, people are at work too, like on the West Coast. I mean, it just it hasn't worked. Please let's just go back to New Year's Day and other days of the the holiday season. The 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 um the numbers have not lied. The 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 New Year's Eve games have had worse viewership. So you're not wrong. I I will also add though, you and I are people in our early thirties. We are. Getting, we are moving closer to that period in our lives where maybe we don't go out to the bar uh, on New Year's Eve, so to speak. So I do think there are um, uh, other generations who don't mind this as much, and I'm I'm inching close uh, closer there every year. I think. <laughs> okay, but this isn't about you. This is about everyone. I just want and to acknowledge the older people who listen to this podcast. No, and that's and that's fine. And again, <laughs> my ideal New Year's is like a couple of friends coming over maybe cook a nice meal, have some cocktails, stay in. That is the ideal. Maybe everyone yes. wears like sweats or even everyone gets dressed up, but you don't go anywhere. You stay at someone's house and there. that's you're the, getting there. Yeah. But yeah, that still you need buy-in from everyone involved to watch football instead of, you know, whatever news channel you want to watch the ball dropping and the concerts and all that other stuff. It's still, it's still not the big, you still can't force everyone to do this. And I will also say for the years that there have been games and people schedule their whole nights around it, you know, if the team that you like gets blown out in the first five, 10 minutes of the game, it's not a fun new year's Eve. It's not fun. It's not at all. I experienced that in 2015. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is not fun. I, I mean, I had a lot of Michigan friends that did watch parties last year. That was not a fun New Year's. Yes, that's true. So I'm going to end this with a cheers. We're ending on a positive note, and it's about the other bowl games. It is about all the random bowl games with random teams that you hadn't watched all season, and now you are. We were all behind New Mexico quarterback 
uh, New Mexico State quarterback Diego Pavia on Monday, winning the quick lane bowl, putting his body on the line, guy who most of us had never heard of all season. And that's really what bowl season is about. Like I've spent the past week at home with my family and they've just put on a football game because it's a football game. Bowling Green, New Mexico State. Sure. Georgia Southern Buffalo. Sure. Like this is what a lot of people like to do. It's become a holiday week tradition is to just watch random bowl games between teams. And that is to, to, to further say there are not too many bowl games for all the people who say this. It is not the case. Again, all these six and six teams that are playing are getting greater exposure than they've ever had before. There's more people watch that New Mexico state game on Monday than had watched any New Mexico state game all year. I can guarantee that. Uh, it's usually a fun trip for the players. If you're going to the Bahamas, going to Hawaii or something like that. And it's just football. People like watching football. The numbers for these bowl games, Toledo Liberty got more viewers than Knicks, uh, Knicks Warriors on TNT, the, the national broadcast, not the local broadcast. So people will watch this stuff. They're not going away. Uh, Danny Cannell said, I think earlier Tuesday, that there should be minimum eight wins for a bowl, which is ridiculous, man. If, if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. But a lot of us want to watch these bowl games and like I said, nine one-score bowl games so far. It has been particularly fun. A lot of teams that, again, you maybe didn't pay attention to, and now you are, you're watching games. We get behind a guy like Diego Pavia. So it, it has been a very fun bowl season of uh, just watching some dudes play. And it's great to have during-the-day football. I mean, we are going to miss this in a couple of weeks yep. where there are no games left to watch in college football. So I'm not going to complain about that or the games that we have on. You can just have on in the afternoon, in the after, um, you know, in, in that week, in between Christmas and New Year's where time doesn't exist and it's all a blur. So we need we need daytime college football, um, and I will take it during that period. Uh, that will do it, though, for this week's power hour for chris vanini i am nicole auerbach thank you for listening happy holidays and we will see you next wednesday